0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. It is Thursday, June 30th, live from my apartment and somewhere in Los Angeles. This is the Ben Jarofsky Show. I am DJ Nate, filling in for the one and only Dr. D. Today, we have a reporter for the Better Government Association, Rachel Hinton. And now, your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jorofsky.
1: Hello, everybody. Ben Jorofsky here. We're calling this DB vs. JB Showdown Thursday, and here's why. Because you know why. It's DB versus JB. We've been looking forward to this for a long time. The DB, as everybody who listens to the Pentraski shows knows, because we've been obsessively following the Republican primary for governor. Okay. We have been doing the deep dive in this show about that election for months now. DB is Darren Bailey, the hog farmer, who's not really a hog farmer. We call him a hog farmer. It's a long story why we call him a hog farmer <clears throat> uh, from central Illinois. Uh, he is, as I say many times, the Maggiest MAGA man in the state of Illinois. Uh, although an argument could be made, a compelling case could be made for the attorney general nominee for the Republican Party, Thomas DeBoer. That would be an interesting battle. Who's the maggiest MAGA man in the state of Illinois, Thomas DeBoer or Darren D.B. Bailey? Uh, that would be an interesting showdown. i paid pay money to watch that debate. Uh, and he'll be running against the incumbent, of course, J.B., J.B. Pritzker. Uh, and uh, the Democrat prevailed. I think he got 93% of the vote. Good God. Uh, Darren Bailey uh, is a farmer. Uh, Very successful farmer. Uh, And uh, as such, I'm going to make, before I bring on my uh, great guest, Rachel Hinton, uh, I just want to make an appeal to my beloved bright one, the Chicago Sun Times. Sometimes, you know, I love you. I subscribe to you. Okay. I pay good money for you every day that newspaper arrives. All right. I read the real newspaper. Not just, I'm not like some millennial stealing it from online. I pay. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, put, oh, put, just, Rachel, do me a favor. Just hold that up to the camera. This is exactly the point I want to make, Rachel Hinton, to help me out here. Sometimes headline: Bailey plows GOP field. Okay, that's the headline in the Sun Times. All right, Sun Times. I think that's the third time you've used the plow joke. I think there's another time you used the crop joke. We get it. Sun Times headline writers. He's a farmer. No more crop plow jokes. Come on, guys. You can do it. You can resist it, Rachel. It's <laughs> like, it's like a, it's like a st- well, how many steps in a step plan, Rachel? I mean, I forgot that, like, you know what I'm saying? There's like certain I mean, Rachel. Like, I don't know why you're asking me 12 uh, step, some, plan 12 step. Yes.
0: Okay, <laughs> yes, it's a
1: 12 step process. Sometimes we can do it. Okay, I'm kind of working through it with the bulls right now, trying to, I don't think it'll work. I think I need like 342 steps to get over the bulls. All right, without further ado, Rachel Hinton. And uh, she's an ace reporter for the Better Government Association for a long time. She worked at my beloved Bright One as a a political reporter, went to BGA. Uh, And uh, Rachel and I would pass each other in the hall, she tells me, back in the golden days when I had a... My podcast was doing from that, my lovely little studio in the Suntimes, right near the bathrooms. not saying you're saying something about me, SunTimes. You put me right there in the back near the bathrooms. But I would see Rachel, and we would say hello. But I finally got to know her when she uh, did our show with um, uh, Tina's, the aforementioned Tina's Vandellas. And as soon as, Rachel, you killed it at that show, at the hideout. Uh, and I just recommend that you and Tina someday— have your own podcast because you guys are a dynamic duo. You're funny. You get each other's jokes. You, you know, it's like, it's like you guys have been married. You know what I mean? She says something, then you follow up. and so anyway, We sat together. next to each
0: other for like three years uh, or maybe two years. I don't know. The pandemic has ruined my sense of time, but we sat next to each other for a very long time and we would joke with each other a lot. So I think that's where that comes from.
1: Uh and um yeah, so uh the the um it's like you guys really understand and relate uh to each other. Right? but uh you're you're solo with me today. Uh shout out to Tina, but uh I'm sure Rachel you can uh handle this uh very well. All right, let's start with the obvious story, the big story. Uh uh both of us uh, agreed on this one. Uh D B Darren Bailey uh winning. Mop the floor, uh Rachel. Uh, I think he got, off the top of my head, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think he got upward close to 50% of the vote. 48, something like that was the last I saw. Uh, And the man who was considered the front runner about three months ago, wow, does the world change, uh, Richard Irvin, the uh, mayor of uh, Aurora, ended up in third place. And I want to say he has got like 15 to 16% of the vote. Uh, so just in the most general terms, what do you make of that?
0: Richard Irvin, the Aurora mayor who was backed by hedge fund billionaire, uh, uh Ken Griffin. Um, What I make of that is, as we spoke about at the hideout, um, this is really a battle. The GOP primary was a battle between your kind of centrist, moderate Republican versus the far right Republican, Uh, as we're seeing in Darren Bailey. uh, Over the weekend, Darren Bailey got the endorsement, finally, uh, the nod of former President Donald Trump, which is something he's been coveting for a while. Uh, And not just coveting, but he's been trying to position himself, trying to show that he is positioned with Trump, he is Trump aligned uh, for a while now. And finally, he got that nod from the president. Um, What I make of this is, you know, this allows for Pritzker to then say, as we saw on election night, you know, I'm going to beat Donald Trump's candidate. Um, He's you know, now fully engaging, even though he was kind of doing that during the primary, um, in beating the Trump backed candidate, um, I think for Democrats, that's important, given the Supreme Court, obviously, the the decisions we've seen come out in recent weeks, uh, especially Roe v. Wade, the overturning of Roe v. Wade uh, will be important. I think that for Democrats and for maybe even centrist Republicans or more moderate people who may lean Democrat, that might be important. Um, But but I think this is a very clear divide between your left and your right, and not just your left. I mean, kind of leaning further left and then also people who lean further right slash or far right. Um, Darren Bailey uh, is, is not a hog farmer. He's a grain farmer. He comes from, uh, he lives in Louisville, downstate Illinois. Uh, as you know, political reporter at the Sun-Times during my time there, I, I said that he was a Republican from Xenia. Um, he really knows that area well. Um, it'll be interesting to see in the coming months what shakes out a, a Dan Proft poll uh, or rather a poll done by someone related to or connected to Dan Proft shows kind of a close uh, toss up between the two, a race between the two, meaning Pritzker and, and Darren Bailey. Um, I believe it was 50 versus 43, 47. Give me one second. Um, e- either way, uh This sets up a a real uh, battle between ideologies, and I I think, as Pritzker said recently, a a, battle for the the soul, quote-unquote, of Illinois.
1: Yeah. Uh, The uh, poll was uh, 50 to 43, uh, and uh, as Rachel pointed out, uh, it was Dan Proft. Uh, who is a, uh, how do I put this, a Republican operative of sorts and a uh, media personality. But let's, at this point, accentuate the Republican operative uh, in that sense. So just keep that in mind, 50 to 43. Now, I work from the assumption, I think I may have mentioned this to you, I've mentioned this with other guests, that when it comes to statewide elections in Illinois, uh, Donald Trump Vote is what Darren Bailey or other Republicans can anticipate, and I, I say this because uh, I believe. And feel free to vehemently and vigorously disagree with me, Rachel. I believe uh, that forty-three uh, percent that Donald Trump got in twenty twenty against Joe Biden is like the hardcore that they're sticking. That that that's their base. Uh, so if all things go well and they get a good turnout, um, automatically they start with that. Now, I've had guests push back on me, so feel free to do that if you want. Uh, and so what the challenge for Darren Bailey, uh, you're absolutely correct, grain farmer, not a hog farmer. That's an inside joke. Uh, and uh, <laughs> so uh, the challenge uh, for Darren Bailey is to somehow or other, and this is going to be a heck of a challenge, Rachel moderate, which is such a funny word to use with Darren Bailey, uh, his image to win over that portion of the vote that went for Joe Biden, uh, as opposed to Donnie Trump. Ah, that's, that's how I see it. Just the most basic element. Again, Biden got 57% of the vote. Trump got 43. Uh, and, um, so is is that your general sense of where we are uh, and the challenge Darren Bailey faces?
2: I think that he'll definitely try
0: to tap into that rising uh, number of far-right conservatives that we we see in the state, people who voted for him, people who wanted him to be the GOP nominee. Um, But he's going to have to appeal to a lot more people. I'm pretty curious to see, you know, over the next couple of months, what his campaign looks like. Um, He said, you know, in the days since the primary, I'm not turning my campaign over to, you know, some big right-wing media outlet. I want to run my Facebook lives as I've been doing uh, recently. I want to do my Facebook posts. I don't want anybody coming in here. Um, I I think it'll be interesting to see how he tries to pull those people in. I think trying to walk back or kind of massage the the hellhole comments that he made about Chicago uh, uh, previously, I think that's not super convincing. So I think he's going to have to do a little bit more to convince Republicans just ac- across the state to vote for him. I would say, though, that uh, Chicago Republicans, I, I believe, turned out the vote for him. I, I forget how much or how many people voted for him, how many Chicago-based Republicans voted for him. But it seems like he, he has them, too. Um, so I, I think it's now more so about appealing to moderates and trying to get those people on board. We'll see if we'll be
1: able to do that. Yeah, I would I would agree with you on that last point. Uh, and uh, I would go one step further. Uh, I know uh, quite a few. Uh, I don't know if you've had the pleasure or privilege to getting to know uh, mega voters who live in the city of Chicago. I have. I know quite a few. Uh, and uh, the mega voters I know who live in the city of Chicago wholeheartedly agree uh, with Darren Bailey's comment that Chicago is a hellhole. So they're not the ones who are offended. Uh, Donald Trump, I believe I'm doing again off the top of my head, which is dangerous, but I believe Donald Trump got roughly 15 percent of the vote against Joe Biden out of Chicago uh, in uh, 2020, which is roughly what he got with Hillary against Hillary Clinton. That's your hardcore MAGA voter in the city of Chicago. I would say they're like John Kent Zara fans uh, and uh, Fraternal Order police fans. So they probably agree. He didn't have to worry about them on the hellhole comment. It's the 85% in the city of Chicago he's got to worry about uh, with the hellhole comment. All right, let's got to talk Ken Griffin, richest man in the state, or he was. I I don't know if he's officially moved to the state of Florida yet. Um, He put uh, everything, all all his eggs in the Richard Irvin basket. Uh, I didn't see the final results. Wow, fifty-seven percent. I didn't realize it went that high. I just saw the early results, uh, and and Irvin ended up with fifteen percent of the vote. Uh, Tina's uh did the calculations. I think it was Tina. Got to give her a shout out. Uh, and it came out to—I just read this—four uh, hundred and eighteen dollars <laughs> per vote. I mean, God, Tina was had that calculator out, uh, and uh, so he kicked in fifty million dollars uh, to Irvin. Uh, and uh, he wound up, uh, if you counted the the dollar by vote, it was four hundred eighteen dollars worth. In comparison, Richard Uline, uh, the I guess he's a billionaire who supported uh, Darren Bailey, he got thirty eight dollars per vote. So he got more money uh, bang for his buck. Uh, your thoughts on um, what this? Your thoughts on what this means? Go.
0: Um. This, Ken Griffin went zero for four on primary night. Uh, So he backs Irvin, he backs uh, Steve
2: Kim. I
0: would say that this is, lackluster, not even lackluster. It's it's uh, one of the worst political investments <laughs> in a primary that we've seen in recent history. Um, and it's even more, I don't know if comical is the right word, but it's even more interesting to me because Ken Griffin came out pretty early on saying, I will spend whatever I have to spend to make sure that Pritzker is a one-term governor. And not only did he lose in that regard, he lost handily. John Milheiser is the one for Secretary of State, uh, the Griffin-backed person for Secretary of State. His pick for Attorney General, Steve Kim, lost to Tom DeVore, who is the one who has been bringing all of these COVID-related lawsuits, um, mm-hmm. trying to, and successfully in some cases, challenging Pritzker's um, that Ken Griffin, like, did he not find the right candidate? Did he, candidates, I should say, uh, did he not do the right thing with this money? Um, that, that's kind of the question I have now. It Seeing the, you know, um, move to the progressive income tax that he fought handily, I think, with another over $50 million kind of donation to this battle. Um, it's interesting now to see him fail so soundly I guess.
1: all right i'm going to talk about richard irvin for a moment uh and i what a flame out his campaign was uh, aside from ken griffin's money put that to the side for the moment but i know it's a struggle rachel i've had many guests come on the show we've been talking about richard irvin and it's irvin is his name uh and i've had guests call him irwin I've had guests call him Irving, <laughs> and these are politically astute, you know. Uh, and uh, those are it seems like the two choices. So, in other words, I take from that that he he was just sort of known as uh, the rich guy's candidate. You know what I'm saying? Like he never identified uh, with uh, had a strong identification with any voting block. He was an unknown. And from the get-go, he acted as though the nomination was his. Remember, in the early days, he wouldn't do press conferences. He would he, he was refusing at some times to appear on the debate stage because he didn't want to uh, have to engage. It's like he was above the others. And if he would give them like his stature, he would share that. And he ended up in third place. I mean, it's a pretty staggering flame-out. Uh, what kind of lessons do you draw from this in terms of statewide campaigns I guess on Republican or Democratic side, go ahead.
0: Seeing the stories come in, uh, come out rather, um, that show that he isn't a Trump-aligned person, even though he refuses to answer questions about it. And bring up like pretty serious ethical questions around, um, you know, the business that Aurora has done recently or the contracts that they have approved. Um, I think Ken Griffin, you know, backing Rauner, uh, backing the uh, uh, move to uh, thwart a, a move to a progressive income tax, I think people now. I think politically savvy people know who King Griffin is. um, And I think that they're watching for that. I don't know how many of those people are Republicans. I don't know how many people pulled a Republican ballot, but I think people are watching for that and also paying attention to what's going on. And if someone is not answering those questions and and is intentionally (laughs) trying to like avoid answering those questions, and then there's a story that comes out, uh, kind of giving you some insight into their thinking, I think that doesn't help you. Um, And I I hope that that's a lesson from all this. Um, I I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, just as I'm saying this about Ken Griffin, obviously Dick Uline, uh, who backed Darren Bailey, uh, he won here. Uh, He won both in the uh, governor's race. He won in the um, GOP primary between Mary Miller and Rodney Davis. He backed some PAC that, that, that backed Mary Miller or rather attacked Rodney Davis. Um, So I'm not really sure that this is some uh, rejection of billionaires from our political system. I think it's more so people don't want people to hide behind money um, or or to use that as a way to hide behind money. I could be wrong there, but that's kind of my sense of it. You can't just support a candidate. You can't say, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that this person is a one-term governor and then back somebody... Who then enacts a plan to not answer any questions, and then that gets them to, you know, November. Yeah,
1: I think that's uh, I think you, you're uh, that's a telling point. I want to introduce this idea and get your response to it. Uh, I watch uh, Republican governors in other states who are sort of like the template for what Richard Irvin might have been, and I'm thinking of uh, Hogan from uh, Maryland, Charlie Baker in Massachusetts at the top of the list, and they are legitimate moderates. Uh, in such that they support abortion rights, which before, folks, I just got to tell you, it wasn't that long ago when all the Republicans, the major rep- statewide Republicans in Illinois, supported abortion rights. Jim Edgar, Jim Thompson, uh, Bruce Rauner, uh, George Ryan, and well, George Ryan, not so much. But uh, anyway, and uh, but uh, Hogan and Baker support abortion rights, and they're also critical of Trump and the January sixth insurrection. Your sense, I know this is a fantasy, but your sense had Richard Irvin run true to the man that he was before he had entered, uh, the Republican primary because he was basically a centrist, um, had do run true and run like an Adam Kinzinger campaign? How do you think it would work? In other words, a campaign that says we must divorce ourselves from Donald Trump. We must grow up as a political party. And yes, I'm with Jim Thompson and Jim Edgar on a woman and woman's right to choose. I understand MAGA would have been uh, just an open revolt against him. But do you think there's enough of a moderate vote uh, in the uh, Republican uh, primary in this day and age, that they would have welcomed such an overture. And that would enable him to go in the campaign uh, against Pritzker. Your
2: thoughts?
0: Democratic voters pulled a Republican ballot to kind of sabotage this in some way. Um, I, I do think that while he probably would have gotten props for being true to who he is as a person um, and true to his you know, political ideologies, I, I do wonder how many moderates there are in the state who would have voted for that view. Um, you know, the, the Tuesday night view of things was like 57% for Darren Bailey. Um so I, I wonder is that people who see someone who's a Democrat or or who seems to be democratically aligned now jumping into Republican primary and they, they don't want to vote for him, um, versus, you know, voting for Darren Bailey. Um I have a lot of questions about that, so I think it's a little hard to answer, I guess. Um, I think maybe he would have fared a little bit better, but I think, you know, depending on how the, the far-right um, conservative ideology is shaping up in Illinois, he may have still lost.
1: Yeah, I, uh, he probably would have lost. I mean, 57% is no joke. And then I guess Jesse Sullivan, who was in second, got roughly 16%. So you add those together, that's a formidable, formidable a wall of opposition to him. Although I always thought that Jesse Sullivan, when he first got in the race was positioning himself to be more or less that kind of moderate. And then once Irving got in the race, he had to pivot right a little bit uh, and couldn't go down that path because it was taken before we leave statewide. Uh, your thoughts, uh, this is going to be a real showdown, uh, election, uh, Thomas DeVore, the, uh, the lawyer, uh, Darren Bailey's lawyer, uh, Rachel already uh, uh, alluded to this, uh, he filed the suits statewide uh, to uh, obliterate the mask mandate. This is in the, the height of uh, the pandemic on the grounds that they were overreach, a constitutional overreach, a violation of people's liberty and freedoms. A very interesting uh, argument he makes about the mask, but apparently it doesn't apply uh, to women's right to choose. Uh, and he will be up against Kwame uh, Rowe, uh, who is... Um, the incumbent attorney general, uh, and makes it clear that he will uh, support a woman's right to choose. Your sense, this this is going to be uh, a real battle of ideology, as ferocious, I think, as uh, Bear, uh, Pritzker versus uh, Bailey at the top. Uh, do you think this will get attention or this will be lost? What do you think?
0: to Steve Kim's 35% with like most precincts reporting. Um, So I'll I'll be curious to see how that shakes out. I I do know that Kwame Rule is generally popular. Um, I'm not sure how popular um, it's been or, uh, you know, widely across the state to challenge those COVID you know, mandates, uh, or requirements. Um, so I, that's a race that I'm definitely going to watch because I, I'm not necessarily sure how it'll shake out. And it's kind of exciting to me, uh, as a nerd, um, to see how, how this is going to go. Um, you know, if I had to, you know, uh, pick a winner in that, I, I I guess my money would be on Kwame, but like, we'll see. Um, I, I'm not willing to, to, you know, say for sure, Kwame's going to win that. Yeah.
1: And I'm going to take a little tangent on this before we get back to it. Uh, Just having just flown, uh, it's like mask mandates are so yesterday's news. Now I'm just speaking for myself, ladies and gentlemen, everybody's, you know, I just speak for uh, Ben here. I wear masks, okay. I just like—I don't know—I fell in love with them, Rachel. I'll be honest with you. So I get in that airplane, I'm wearing a mask. It's not just COVID, man. You guys are bringing all kinds of germs into this airplane. <laughs> Babies hawking and crying, and you know, so I'm like, you know, I'll just put the mask on. It's all good. Uh, and uh, but I'm just pointing this out. I was a definite minority <laughs> on that plane, as in life, uh, with the masks, okay. I would say, I, my wife, Rachel, we were like, it was three to one, at least uh, maskless to mask. I don't been on an airplane lately. And this is on an airplane. And some of the flight attendants weren't wearing masks. So what I'm saying is, it seems like that battle is just like yesterday's news. And I, I just, it's one thing to raise it as an issue in the height of it all. But like it seems as though the country has moved on, and somebody like accept has a different worldview about COVID and masks and prevention. That's my sense of it. Uh, What's your thoughts?
0: places. And I don't think that they care necessarily about why that is, why they know why there's no longer a mask mandate in the city or in the state or county or whatever. Um, so I'm not really sure that people are going to care that much about like, hey, I'm the guy who made that possible. Um, maybe they will, but I, I just don't think that they will. Um, and I, I think that people are going about their lives. And I think that now they're going to kind of drill deeper than the COVID requirements and what role Tom DeBoer played and all of that. Now they want to see, okay, well, what are you going to do uh, about corruption? What are you going to do about, uh, okay, nerdy issue? But, you know, the reporters are filing Freedom of Information Act requests. Yeah, is the office responding adequately or other offices responding adequately? I don't know that like the regular voter will care about that, but I think that it'll get to more kind of bread and butter issues related to the attorney general's office rather than you know, COVID. Yeah.
1: Uh, I, I'm with the reporters and the FOIA stuff. Uh, I, I, I follow, I, I'm through filing FOIA things this phase of my life. Rachel, if I could use you as a therapist, I can explain why. But I, so of my friends are FOIA freaks. Mick Dumkey, I see you. Danny Miyalopoulos, I see you. Maya duke Masafa, I see you. And uh, I'm always, go for it, file some more FOIAs, man. <laughs> and then they regale me with their tales of being lost in the FOIA bureaucracy, which is, the whole damn thing is set up to keep you from getting information that you should get, okay? So, And I know BGA, where you work, man, you guys are the FOIA filing kings and queens of the state of Illinois. Uh, So, yes, I think it is an important issue to reporters, but you're probably correct when you say, I don't know. Maybe parents of reporters care about it, or cousins maybe, but uh, other than that. All right, let's talk some congressional races. Uh, I was uh, following closely uh, the first congressional. Bobby Rush uh, uh, resigned. And, uh, this is, uh, open seat, open seats come along very rarely in the city of Chicago. Uh, once elected to Congress, people love to stay there. Uh, so it was, I think, wow, how many, 15 people ran? I got lost track. I can't remember. Uh, uh, so, uh, the victor, uh, was Jonathan Jackson. Talk about this. Yes. Go ahead.
2: Alderman
0: Pat Dowell, uh, who previously ran a campaign for Secretary of State, but decided to then jump ship and join the race for this first congressional seat, uh, followed by the person Rush endorsed for his seat, Karen Norrington Reeves. Um, Jackson moves on, I think, as of Tuesday or early Wednesday with like 20 28 to 30 percent of the vote. Uh, he'll now face, uh, I can't find the guy's name, but he'll face Eric Carlson, who was convicted of a sexual assault in 1995. It, it, it hasn't been expunged from his record, but different guy. Um, not different, but, you know, change. Um, and now they'll face each other in November. Um, this will be the first time since, sometimes said, uh, since 1992, or this was the first time since 1992 that Bobby Rush's name hadn't appeared on the ballot. Um, so I think that people, especially in this congressional district, knowing that change is coming, are prepared that change is coming. I think they probably turned out pretty well to, to vote in this primary, um, even though citywide, um and countywide, statewide, turnout was abysmally low. I think it was around 20%, 20 to 25%. I think 20, 20% in the city, maybe 20 to 25% in the state. Sorry, I don't have a more uh, specific uh, percentage for you. Um, but yeah, now Jackson moves on. Um, he's got money from some cryptocurrency, aligned people. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see who, who Carlson is uh, gets funding from, if, if he gets funding from anybody. Uh, I'll be curious to see if this is even really a battle. Um, I, I think Carlson had most of the vote in the Republican primary. Um, I believe he's a Republican and not a Libertarian. Sorry if I'm wrong on that. Um, we'll have to see. Um, I, I, I think he'll win it. Um, I think he's the handy, uh, favorite basically. Yeah.
1: Uh, if I were a betting man and my days of betting are long behind me, Rachel, uh, I am a reformed gambler. Uh, but if I were a betting man, the over under would be 80. That means my, can Carlson keep Jonathan Jackson under 80%. Uh, and, uh, I don't know. I don't know how I would bet it. I got to take a look at the demographics of that ward and, uh, you know, it, they, oh, excuse me, that district, congressional district, I think wards. It's hard to uh, get this old horse to change its tricks. It's
0: hard to change your brain. Uh, I know.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, Chicago, everything's a ward. Um, but uh, I, would, I would say uh, it's a safe bet. Yeah, Jonathan Jackson, the Jackson name. We talked about this at the hideout. That Jackson name is so powerful. Ladies and gentlemen, Jonathan Jackson, this is his first run for office. I don't believe he ever ran for, ran for office before. His uh, brother, Jesse Jackson Jr., of course, was a congressman, got in trouble, from the 2nd Congressional District. Father, Jesse Lewis Jackson. And I've been saying this more and more on the show, uh, Rachel, and this is just me speaking, not Rachel. The older I get, the more love I have for Jesse Lewis Jackson. And I just reflect upon his career. This is me speaking. I just reflect upon his career and how he's been on the front lines of pretty much every fight. Uh, and, uh, in Chicago, you're not always loved if you're famous. Like it's a whole thing about Chicago. They turn on people who make it like, Oh, you think you're better than us now? Huh? You know I mean? I've seen it happen with rappers, basketball players, you know, movie stars. They turn on you. You get a little success. Oh, you think you're better. You're California now. Uh, and, uh, but I just, I don't know where I'm going. The older I get Jesse Lewis Jackson, I remember him back in the sixties uh, you know, Operation Breadbasket, That up to old man Richard J. Daly. I just have a lot of respect for him and I know there are a lot of older people like me, boomers, in that first congressional district and they see that Jackson name and they also have that kind of respect and so they just transfer it to the sun and that was my take on that Jackson legacy. What's your thoughts about it? You're, you've been around Chicago quite a while. Uh, you actually grew up in the area. The Jackson legacy uh, in Chicago.
0: Um, as reasons for why she deserves the spot, Karen Norrington Reeves, I believe, is a nurse uh, or is involved with the medical healthcare field, so maybe doesn't have as much. Of a or any uh, legislative history or legislative record to point to, but I think that the name really helps you here. And the name, the history, um, what people seem to know about Jesse Jackson Sr. Um, will then transfer to the son. Even though Jesse Jackson Jr. did get in trouble, I believe he. I'm not even going to get into it. Um, but he Jesse not Jackson Jonathan Jackson gets the benefit of having the Jackson name and people knowing who he is and knowing who his father is without really needing any sort of legislative record to back that up.
1: Absolutely. I've had so many funny conversations with Chicago. Don't worry guys. I will not name your names. And they'll be like, I'm so through with the Jacksons. I am never going to vote for the Jacksons again. I am through, through, through with the Jacksons. They get in that polling booth. Oh, they can't help it. The hand go- <laughs> See that name? The hand go. They tell me fill my ear with Jesse J- Jackson Jr. stories. Okay, they tell me about the blonde. All this stuff. They see that name. <laughs> I'm with you. I understand. That's a very Chicago mentality. Happened in the seventh congressional district. Danny K. Davis defeated Kena Collins, uh, who's been on the show several times. Shout out Kena Collins. You ran a, my humble opinion. You know, very. Uh, You you ran a good race, but uh, I forget what the total was there. It was like 52% last I saw, Uh, but same, similar theme. You know what I'm saying? Like people in Chicago are very loyal, Rachel. Talk about this, the loyalty that Chicagoans have uh, to their congressional
2: leaders.
0: I think maybe it's partly because the the term is so short people's memories are a little short ballots get longer you have to start trying to figure out who is this person why am i voting for them things of that sort um i I think it's a safe bet to typically vote for the person who's been in office for so long um illinois slash the redistricting process here tends to favor republican not republican incumbents not because of that but i misspoke um it, it favors incumbents because people know that name. And I think in part, people don't want to keep doing the the homework of who is this person and what have they done for me lately? Um, they want to just be able to say, okay, you, you've been in for six terms. You've been in for, I don't know, six times two is 12. Uh, you've been in there for 12 years. I'll give you another term. Um, I think it makes voting for some people a little bit easier. Um, Whether or not they should be voting for that person, whether or not that person has done something for their district lately, obviously is left up to question. But I think that people view that as kind of an easy, easy vote to to cast.
1: All right, uh, and with the final congressional district we'll talk about in Chicago before we close with a question that uh, you have not been anticipating. Uh, I'm going to throw a curveball at you. Uh, third congressional district, uh, Delia Ramirez defeated Gilbert Viegas, the alderman of the 36th Ward. I think you came up with a pretty funny wisecrack this morning. I can't remember if it was yours. Other people, I've talked to like 20 people today already. Uh, uh, something about Gilbert Viegas now has to go back and run for re-election and alderman in that... Uh, ward that
0: soup can soup yeah
1: uh he's the alderman uh and he uh led the uh the process for the uh latino caucus uh in the ward redistricting case that didn't work out excuse me the ward redistricting uh that just went down in the city council and that didn't work out too well for him Uh, i guess he was banking on uh being winning this congressional primary so he wouldn't have to worry about running for a reelection in a district that does (laughs) it's so weird looking district Uh, it's like a snake
0: it's a pool noodle yeah yeah Uh,
1: (laughs) that's true so you know big win for the lefties my beloved lefties uh they've been all calling me going yeah ben you said we couldn't do it uh so it's okay you guys you can do your trash talking uh, how, how's, what's your take on Delia Ramirez, the, um, uh, state rep, uh, beating Gilbert Villegas, uh, the Alderman. Go ahead.
0: To be pretty safe. Uh, Democratic district. I don't know that the Republican candidate. I think his name is Justin Brow. Um, I don't. I don't know that he'll really have a chance in November. Um, so I'll be curious to see what happens. I think at the hideout we talked about. Um, you know. my hesitancy about saying whether or not it'll go for Vegas or for Ramirez. Uh, Early polling kind of showed a toss-up. I think some later polling, I want to say early-ish May, showed Ramirez maybe in the lead or maybe closer, being more neck and neck. Um, So I'll be curious to see uh, both how the vote shook out. So what areas of the district uh, turned out the vote, um, who voted for Ramirez, like demographics, uh, were, was it older people, was it younger people? I believe the Sun-Times said something about, um, I think four out of 10 people in the district are Latino and uh, four out of 10 people in the district who are able to vote are Latino. Um, so I, I think that it's, it'll be interesting. Uh, and, and, and she said, you know, in her acceptance speech, that this shows uh, that people are open to and ready for more progressive policies I'll be curious to see what she comes up with. She said that immigration reform, and I want to say housing or or something of that sort, um, are her big topics. The topics that she cares about most that she really wants to legislate for. Um, So I'll be curious to see what she she comes up with on that. front.
1: And I will say, uh, as an old guy. That point you made—that's uh, a great point. There's a deep dive waiting uh, to be taken in the in this race, like where the votes come from, uh, who, where the strength is for more moderate Democrats like Viegas, and where the strength is for more progressive Democrats like Ramirez. But uh, the the point you made it four out of ten uh, are uh, Latino or Hispanic—that means six out of ten. Oh God, my math is unbelievable, Rachel. Uh, are not. And uh, this points out to something that uh, it took this, this old baby boomer a long time to come to this conclusion, uh, and that is the world that existed when I moved to Chicago in 1981 is not the world that exists right now, Rachel. And I, I tend to accentuate in my reporting and my commentary uh, the negative about Chicago. I mean, that's just kind of how I am wired. But I must make this concession white people are a lot more willing to vote for people who are not white than they were in 1981. I am telling you this is, it was Tony Preckwinkle's win in 2010 in that democratic primary for Cook County board that opened my eyes. My camera's not working, so you can't see how wide I, my eyes are open. Um, and I've just seen it time and time again uh, in races like uh, uh, it, all manic races, state rep races, state senate races. Uh, we had Rodney uh, Sawyer uh, at, at the hideout with uh, Carlos Ramirez Rosa debating the map. I listened to both of them. I believe Rod Sawyer could go into the 35th ward and win, and I believe Carlos Ramirez Rosa could go to the 6th ward and win. I do believe that. I think I actually believe. I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but I believe Chicago's. We've made progress on this front um so i take encouragement for that do you think i'm being too optimistic when i say this rachel
0: look at the world. Look at the world we live in currently. <laughs> so I, I'm not really sure that um that optimism is warranted, but you know, you do you, Ben. I, Thank I'm, you. God uh, bless you. <laughs> I'm glad that you're happy. Glad you're optimistic.
1: <laughs> uh I remember I said this once to uh Alder Women Pat Dow. She laughed at my face. Uh and <laughs> she was on the stage at the hideout. She goes, that's a good one, Ben. You got any more? Uh and uh all right, so here's the curveball question we'll close down the interview with. Uh, and uh, listen, I'm not saying, Rachel, is this. She said she was this, and so did Tina's Spandell uh, political geeks. I said, when they said that at the height, i go, I am one, too, and uh, proud of it, have been forever uh, since the 70s. So uh, I'm going to ask you, what, as a geek, what, like, really obscure... Uh, election or showdown are you um, just like in the back of your mind have i'll go first uh maybe you'll have the same one i do i am believe it or not this is so geeky uh am following <laughs> it's almost embarrassing the um the battle that's going on quietly just kind of quietly over who will be the chair of the Democratic Party in the state of Illinois. For years, it was Michael Joseph Madigan. Robin Kelly replaced him. Governor Pritzker, for reasons I do not understand or know, uh, is not happy with Robin Kelly, uh, the congresswoman from the second congressional. Uh, and he has been maneuvering behind the scenes, running candidates against candidates who are supported to her. I have not done the full breakdown of this you know who won what and some races are contested at the moment uh, but I'm watching that because I do believe at some point that will emerge uh, as like a real in the weeds for a political nerds and geeks only uh, showdown and I'll never understand what Pritzker's problem was with Robin Kelly' it's, I don't know they seem to cut from the same political cloth so go ahead what's your uh, geeky race that
2: you're watching
0: It was like we should support Michelle Harris because she can raise state and federal dollars um, because of uh, Robin Kelly's federal rule, She's a U.S. congresswoman. Um, she can only raise technically personally uh, raise money for federal races. She then needed to kind of create a separate um, funding mechanism for state races. So that's that on that. Uh, the races that I'm following are like my nerdy races are the Board of Review races. Yes. <laughs> so Tammy went.
2: <laughs> oh my <Cook> God. County <laughs>
0: Board of Review Commissioner Tammy went, hired her cousin. Yeah. Um, and I wrote about who is the 12th ward alderman I want to say um he won his bid to oust her uh in in the primary on Tuesday um and also uh Michael Kabanarji who's been on the board for a very long time also appears to be ousted you know final super final uh results are not in yet on these election results but he lost to Samantha Steele um So that's also interesting to me. The Board of Review seems to be the last place for uh, the political shenanigans that go on with property taxes, property assessments. Um, Once the Cook County assessor does your property tax assessment, you can then take it to the Board of Review and and you can appeal it. And most people, I I think especially commercial properties, they do that. Um, So I'll I'll be curious to see how that shakes out. Cabinurgy is a, a well-known entity within, you know, Cook County Democratic politics. Uh, he's a state central committeeman I want to say uh, two connecting yeah. my weird you know <laughs> nerdy <laughs> political thing to your weird nerdy political thing um, so I, I'll be curious to see what comes of that and I don't think that that'll be the last we hear of him uh, I'm, I'm sure he'll run for something else in the future um, he, he seems like that type of type of guy he, he seems to be really into politics he has the support of the cook County Democratic uh, political uh, sphere um, it's now more so question question of getting that support from from the voters
1: i actually think yours is uh more practical and pragmatic a concern than mine mine is really nerdy and in the weeds but uh absolutely as you point is very well taken uh assessments are preliminary made by the cook county assessor you can appeal your assessment which is the value of that they place on your property and so as i always say in the show the tax rate the same for everybody Uh, but it's your taxes then, the variable uh, in the equation is what they assess your property at. The lower they assess your property, uh, the less your tax bill will be, and so that's why uh, this is a very important office in terms of property tax payments. If you're a renter, you probably don't know much about this, if you know anything about it at all, because you've never even seen a property tax bill. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's a good. Uh, I, I I'm watching that one too. Uh, but uh, I got to admit, I'm, I'm really paying attention for reasons that are probably need help with uh, at that state central committee. Um, Rachel Hinton, thank you so much, and uh, for being on the show, taking the time to come and talk to us uh, on the me. show, and keep up keep up the good work. All right,
0: we'll do. All right, take care,
1: uh, Rachel. Take care. That's Rachel Hinton. I also want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Lane Tech High School. Yes, DJ Nate. Dr. D is out, uh, but he'll be back tomorrow. We're going to do an all-what a week. We'll have a lot of fun with it. So, DJ Nate, you did a great job uh, subbing uh, for Dr. D. And uh, so, as I always say, give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Take care, everybody.